are in a series talking about vision. If you're just joining us or if you're listening to uh, Spotify or SoundCloud online, we're in a series on vision. Uh, And as a reminder of the reason why, uh, every January, the Father's House churches take the month uh, of January, the three or four weeks, uh, to speak about vision, to talk about the unique word or or vision that, that we feel God is calling us to pursue for the year as a body of believers. And so um, it's always great to see how God brings so much fruit from that, that word, that theme that he calls us to lean into uh, in a specific year. God's word will never return to him void. Amen. And uh, as a quick recap, I shared last week that the vision we feel on our hearts uh, for Father's House J Bay this year is to enjoy the Lord more, to simply enjoy the Lord more. We coined the, the hashtag more 24 Um, And I shared from the perspective that it's not so much about doing more for the sake of doing more. That's important. How many of us know that sometimes we can do things, but our hearts aren't in it? They're very far from it. It's more about becoming someone for God. That's important. Both individually and collectively as a church with our hearts in the right place. That That is what is of primary importance this year. And we said that it's in the becoming that we get clear on the doing. That way around. And that's why we coined the hashtag hashtag more24. It's in spending more time with Jesus for who he is that we begin to enjoy him and our relationship with him. And then we get clear on what he's calling us to do. Because what you want to avoid in your faith journey is hitting that spiritual wall. Has anyone ever hit the spiritual wall? You know what I'm talking about? What's the spiritual wall? That's the spiritual wall is where you feel like you've been very active in doing lots of things, yet you feel spiritually unfulfilled. Drained, empty, like your to-do list is full, but your heart is empty. And I don't know if you've ever got to that place. And the good news is, the part of why we're sharing this word is that there is a way of accomplishing both. There is a way of ensuring that our hearts are full and our efforts are in the right place, having a big kingdom impact, that our hearts and our to-do lists are both where God wants them to be. And I want for us as individuals and as a, as a body of believers, uh, believers this, this year uh, to really lean into that, to, to really embrace again the importance of an intimate relationship with Jesus first, before anything else. I really believe that's important. You could say that it's a, retor- it's a, it's a return to intimacy. It's a return call to that, that, that first love that we have, which is with Christ. You know, let's Let's acknowledge and appreciate what we have in him before worrying about anything else. You know, you could, you could say it this way, and I was thinking about this during the past week. Um, are we able to go to the Lord without an agenda? How often? How often do we go to God without any agenda? Nothing on our minds, nothing to ask him for, nothing to, just to go to him and to enjoy him for who he is. And to enjoy our relationship with him. You know, like when you hang out with a friend and you're like, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Let's just hang out. I just, I enjoy my friendship. I enjoy our relationship. Let's just hang out and spend time and see what happens, you know, see where it goes. That, that conversation is what this series on vision is all about. And I shared um, the scripture from Psalm 37, uh, which is what I felt was kind of one of the verses of the, well, verses for the year that, that tie into this concept. Um, and it's verse four specifically, but I want to read from a few, a few verses before and after just for some context. This is David writing, and he says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. See the order? Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. 
That's the, that's the conversation. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, as some translations say. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. This is an interesting one for our society. Be silent before the Lord. Wait expectantly for him. Put away instant stuff for a bit. Instagram, instant this, instant coffee. Sorry, that one. That <clears throat> just slipped in there. Uh, be silent for the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Don't, do not be agitated by the one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Don't worry about them. Refrain from anger. Give up your rage. Don't be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Gets hectic towards the end there, but you know David's context right when he was writing this. So I kind of get the sense in studying his life a little bit that he, he was one of those guys that had this relationship with the Lord where he could confidently say, I'm delighting myself in him. And when I'm doing that, he is, he is he's giving me my heart's desires. And that's often because, and you guys know this, when you delight yourself in the Lord, in other words, when you make him the center of your affection, when you begin to seek him first before anything else, he begins to work and rewire the desires of your heart, doesn't he? You know, things that unsettled you because you couldn't have them in a previous season suddenly don't seem to be that appealing anymore. You know, sometimes certain activities that used to occupy a lot of your time seem uninteresting all of a sudden. Prayers that you used to pray for things to begin to change suddenly, you know, they're, they're changing. You're praying different prayers. When you start delighting yourself in the Lord, even things that you once thought were meaningless in life suddenly become very meaningful when you begin to delight yourself in the Lord and when He begins to align your heart's desires with His. Not because you're looking at checking out of stuff and becoming disconnected and lazy and disinterested, no, but because your priorities have gone through a little bit of a spiritual update on the app, you know, They've been rewired, and now suddenly you're focusing on things that don't just bring a sense of accomplishment to you. They bring a sense of spiritual fulfillment. Can you say amen to that, church? And I believe that that's the direction God is, is, is calling us to move into this year, to, to this place of where we feel, you know what, what I'm doing is meaningful, and it's based on my relationship with Him. And so as a quick recap, last week we talked about, firstly, what does it look like to enjoy the Lord more? What does this mean? How can you define enjoying the Lord more in your relationship? And we said, firstly, it looks like finding purpose in his presence, and that's through worship. We said that worship is one of those things that reminds us who God is, and it reminds us that we should bring him glory in all that we do, and it reminds us that before we could do anything for God, Romans 6, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's the, that's the moment, right, where you realize, sure, God wants me before he wants anything I can do for him. Uh, and we said, secondly, what it looks like to enjoy the Lord is that we find joy in His promises, and that's through His Word. You know, there's something so vital, isn't there, to, to, to keeping our souls full of the joy of the Lord, and that's by reminding ourselves what we have in His Word, the promises that we've received in Christ. That's how we delight ourselves in Him. And then finally, we said that enjoying the Lord means we find power in His protection, and that's through prayer. That's through prayer. I know there's people sitting in this room today who can attest to the miracle working power of God's protection that you've experienced when you've, when you've placed yourself before him in prayer. You can say amen if that's, if that's you this morning, if you've experienced God's power. And there's such enjoyment, there's such delight to be found in that secret place of prayer with him. Some basic Christian practices, right? But they're all, all important in this, 
in this conversation of, of cultivating a delight in the Lord. And so today, I want to talk to you about something that I think is so central to this idea. It's so foundational to the concept of enjoying the Lord more that, that we have to get into it this morning. And um, it's no wonder that the worship set was a little bit more worshipy this morning, I guess because this topic is perhaps a little bit more, what's the, what's the worshipy version of a, of a topic? Help me. I don't know. A worshipy topic. I'm just going to use the same word. But um, I want to help us unpack this vision to enjoy the Lord more and, and, and talk to you about the spiritual practice of surrender. The spiritual practice of surrender. I'm very intentional about my choice of words there. Because I believe that in order to have a conversation about enjoying the Lord more in a season, we, we need to include this topic of surrender. It's so foundational, and we're going to see why in just a bit. And I've entitled the message this morning, The White Flag. The White Flag. And I'm hoping that this conversation serves as an encouragement to us this morning as we get into this conversation. So, lately, for whatever reason, uh, I have been enjoying war movies I've been enjoying watching a lot of war movies. Is that a shocking thing for your pastor to say? I don't know, but I said it anyway. Anyway, I seem to be stuck on, this, on these, these heroic tales, you know, of this brave soldier and group of soldiers that, that fought through these crazy battles and situations and, you know, fought for victory and for peace on the other side. Is there anyone else here that enjoys a bit of a war movie? Or is it, okay, so, I'm, okay, thank you. I don't feel so alone. Gosh. I wondered if I said, does anyone here enjoy movies with a few shades of gray, if I would have got a more of a response from people. But cake elements, no. Um, but it just, it, 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 it blows my mind, this, the, the unbelievable stories that these guys went through, you know, these crazy, tense fighting situations. Um, and it's, it's just a, it's like this weird reality check for me at the moment. I don't know why I seem to be so hooked on it. But maybe it's, it's because you, you, you really get to see a side of humanity, you know, good and evil, um, that you don't see anywhere else, I guess, when it comes to, you know, the battlefield, like, and these things that these guys went through. Um, and it, maybe it's also because it, it makes me wonder how far we've drifted as a, as a society, you know. Um, I don't know if I should say this. Is this recorded? Is it? Um, should I just say it anyway? And then just, you know, <laughs> Back then, I'm going to sit, um, people got recognized for doing battle, you know, with the enemy, like fighting in tanks and planes and machine guns and stuff, and now people get recognized for just being offended. I don't know. 1940, I fought in World War II, 2024. I'm offended. I'm like, what? what? Just, we've drifted. Anyway, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really, I apologize. That's just a postural rant coming through there. But... Um, Anyways, in most war movies, you guys know how the storyline goes, right? You get to that critical, pivotal moment in the story where the soldiers look at each other, you know, after this intense fighting. Uh, the one army's continuing to advance and they, and they go, do we surrender? Is this the moment where we can't see another way out? And the only way out is to lift up their hands, wave the white flag and say, I surrender. You know, that's usually the part in the movie where you see everything playing out in slow motion, you know? Like you see the war hero movie guy with his dirty face and bloody arm. He's standing on the battlefield and he sees the enemy come out and they, you know, as they like drop to the knees, the music like, ah, you know, it like has that orchestral thing. It's beautiful. Um, 
the guys lay down their, lay down their weapons. And this is usually where you see in the other soldiers, their, their spirits kind of returning, you know. After all this fighting, they finally get this glimpse of like victory for the first time where the enemy says, I surrender. Man, it's so, I don't know, it just seems to have captivated me lately. But coming back to the topic for today's sermon, surrender is actually something of a battle term, in fact. That's where it originates from. Uh, It refers to the giving up of your arms or weapons, laying them on the ground, and allowing the opposition army to take control from that point forward. You relinquish control of your future plans and hand them over, place them in the hands of someone else when you say, I surrender. Now, here's the the thing, and here's the the part that I want to lean into a little bit this morning as we look at how this is connected to living a life of enjoying the Lord more. The biblical idea of surrender is a little like that too. There is an aspect of giving over control to someone else, God, who is greater than you, to take charge, except there's one key difference. There's one key difference between the war or, the, or the, the worldly idea of surrendering and the biblical idea of surrendering. You see, in the context of war, surrender is made in response to defeat by an enemy. But in the context of Scripture, surrender is made in response to love from a father. In the context of war, surrender is made in response to defeat by an enemy. But in the Bible, surrender is made in response to love from the Father. And that's very important. You know, people might say you can surrender to the devil. Well, yeah, you can give in to the devil. You can't give up to the devil. Because that would imply that you're surrendering to someone who's greater than you and the devil's been defeated. We know this. His greatest weapon, death, has been destroyed. So he's actually got no authority over you except that which you allow him to have. Right? So you don't give up. You give, you give in. That's why James literally says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah? The biblical surrender is made in response to love from the Father. What does John 3.16 say? There's the invitation. The invitation to lay it all down, to say, Lord, our surrender is in response to love. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his, his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And my hope in sharing this, this message with you this morning, church, is that we'll come to a place in our spiritual journeys where we can say with conviction and courage, Lord, I surrender all to you. That's my hope in sharing the message with you this morning. It's a brave hope, I know. Yeah, all the visitors are like, oh, this oak's hectic. I shouldn't have come here this morning. But it's a big topic. It's a big topic. And, 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 I know that it's, it, it might require a little bit of stretching, but I really feel so strongly on my heart that I need to share this word with you this morning for someone that's sitting here or someone that's listening online because I really feel that it might be helpful. And you know, here's the thing. I find that oftentimes in Christianity, people are, people are experiencing unnecessary levels of, of frustration and disappointment and anger and all these things. And it's unnecessary because they fail to recognize the importance of surrendering all to Jesus. And perhaps this is, this is the reason why a lot of people are walking around hindered in their spiritual journeys with obstacles, feeling unfulfilled. It's because they haven't, they haven't got to this place of saying, Lord, I lay it all down before you. You know, here's the thing. Let's get, let's get real for a moment. Do you know what's on the other side of surrendered anxiety? 
joy. Do you know what's on the other side of surrendered pride? Grace. Do you know what's on the other side of surrendered anger? It's righteousness. Do you know what's on, on the other side of surrendered distraction? Anyone else get distracted? <laughs> Spiritual fulfillment. You know what's on the other, other side of surrendered unforgiveness in your heart? Freedom. Freedom. So you could say the measure by which you are surrendered to God is the measure by which you are encountering Him. The measure by which you are willing to lay things down at His feet is the measure by which you are encountering Him. And we know that's, that's where breakthrough happens, right? Breakthrough happens in encounter with God. It doesn't happen, you know, just with us sitting there feeling comfortable, holding on to things. How many of us know that growth and comfort and growth and breakthrough don't happen in the same glass, like all in water, right? You've got to have one or the other. And I'd, I'd, I want for us as a, as a body of believers this year to really eliminate those obstacles, to get to that place of deep spiritual fulfillment in our relationship with God by saying, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender. This is where, this is where, this is where it happens, friends. And so here's what we're going to do this morning in the time that I have remaining. Oh, man, I've, I see what Pastor George says. The clock. It's like Satan chasing you. Um, you prepared all week for this, and then you go, ah, 10 minutes left. Anyway, um, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at a few, a few very basic components of the spiritual practice of surrender. We're going to look at what it is, because I think it's important that we define it for ourselves. We get really clear on what we're talking about. And then I'm going to take us through an example of someone in the Bible who really had an extreme version of this play out in his life. I mean, this guy, this guy was willing to do what I think most of us never could. And from his story, my hope is that we're going to, we're going to find the encouragement to get to that place where we go, Lord, I, I lay this thing down. I'm going to lay this thing down before you. Does that make sense? Church, are you, are you, are you with me this morning? Are you feeling like this is your morning to, to leave something at the foot of the cross and move forward changed? Are you with me? All right, so firstly, what does surrendering to the Lord mean? <laughs> what, what do Christians mean when they say, I surrender all? Well, very simply, when we as Christians say, I surrender my life to God, it means, like we said just now, that we're responding to the invitation of love from the Father by giving Him full control. We say, Lord, I'm giving you ultimate control of my life. I relinquish my will for yours. I replace my will, my desires with yours. We say, Lord, whatever's in your heart, put it in my heart. Whatever you want, that's what I want. We delight ourselves in the Lord <laughs> and he gives us the desires of our heart. I no longer want to be led by the desires of my own heart. I want to be led by the desires of your heart. It means that we confess, we repent, we give up, we walk away from everything that is not from God and we take hold of everything that is in its place. That's what we mean. That's what we mean when we say, all to thee I surrender. Some of us might remember the old school hymn from, from, the, from the, uh, back in the day. Now, here's the part that I, I think a lot of people miss. And this is important when it comes to defining what we mean when we say we surrender all to God. Did you know that every moment of every single day, you have an open, active invitation from God to grow in surrendering your life to Him? Did you know that? Every moment of every day, you have that invitation. It doesn't just happen once, you see. This is the part that I think a lot of people miss. There are different levels to surrender. There's different levels to surrender. The first one is when you surrender your life to Christ and you receive his invitation of salvation. You receive forgiveness from your sins, you have new life in your spirit, and you're born again. You're saved. That happens once. 
That's the moment when you become a Christian. Amen? Right? First level of surrender. You don't need to respond to the call of salvation over and over. You don't get born again and again and again and again. Because salvation was not up to us. You see, it was not our work. It was what Christ did for us. We couldn't earn it. We can't lose it by our sins. The strength of Jesus' finished work on the cross was strong enough to secure you for eternity, even when you mess up after that. Level one. However, level two, this has got to do with our sanctification. This is, this is the, oh, am I touching on a heavy topic here? I feel some anxiety. Come on, stay with me, saints. Stay with me. This is our continued surrender to the will of God. This is where we say, you know what? The salvation that I've received in my spirit, I want to let that work itself out into every area of my life. You know what, Jesus? I'm saved in my spirit. Could you please get to my finances? Could you please get to my emotions? Could you please get to my language? Could you please get to my parenting style, the way I run my business? Could you please work out the salvation that's in me to every part of who I am? That's called sanctification. And I feel like this is where a lot of Christians forget the importance of ongoing surrender to God. This is where a lot of people start falling into the trap of holding on to stuff from the past life and trying to bring that into the new creation that God is calling you to wake up to and enjoy every day. Amen? And this, this, is, this is actually where a lot of joy in the victory lies. Of course, there is immense joy upon receiving salvation. And I'm sure there's probably people in this room or people that you know that experienced radical miracles when they got saved. We've watched a few testimonies of people on the screen from inside Father's house that experienced that. Addictions being broken and chains falling off and, and people being set free from all kinds of things. However, if you had a salvation experience like mine that, that didn't include a miraculous event, just a simple prayer at home with a family member or wherever it was, I want you to know that there's still so much joy to be found in the continuous surrendering to God every day. You know, it's in the second layer of surrender, church, where you see the beauty of someone that previously had a very short temper becoming very patient. This is where you see the beauty of someone who, who was arrogant suddenly walking in humility and kindness towards people. And you're like, what, is, what has happened in this person's life? This is where you see the beauty of a selfish person becoming one of the most generous and caring people you've ever met. It happens to the ongoing surrender, saying, Lord, I lay this down before you. I lay down the old man and I take up the new man. And that happens every single day. You could say, friends, on this point, that the more we surrender and yield to the Spirit, the more you are changed by the Spirit. And yes, there is a third level of surrender, which, which we could get to at another topic. That's the level of sowing, salvation, sanctification, and sowing, where you're not just being changed in your own heart, you're asking God to change people through you. So you're, you're, you're investing into eternity, you're, you're, you're sowing into eternity, but that's a whole separate conversation. Um, Romans 12 verse 2 is a great verse that helps us define this second level of surrender. Look at what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and by implication, sisters, um, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There it is. He's asking us to lay some things down. How about this? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, 
or the pattern of this world, as some translations say, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Change the way you think. Surrender your thoughts. Surrender your mind to him. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see how saturated scripture is with the idea of surrendering our lives, our bodies, our thoughts, our wills to God? And this is why, friends, although the word surrender doesn't explicitly appear in the New Testament, the spiritual practice of surrender, that's why I chose those words, is tangible right throughout scripture, from the beginning all the way through to the end. Because it, it involves this responsive love from a father. Romans 12, 2 is a great practical example of what it means to surrender. So I'm mindful of the time. I might not get to the end. What do I do? Help me, Jesus. Talk to me, Holy Spirit. Um, I'm going to skim this one quickly. That's what surrender does mean. What doesn't it mean? <laughs> what doesn't it mean when we say, I surrender all? I think it's also important that we clarify this, right? Because this might free some of us from worrying about what will happen when we do get to that place of laying it all down before God. And this comes back to the difference between surrender in the Bible versus surrender at war, uh, in, in the context of war. One thing that biblical surrender does not mean is that you are somehow being degraded as a person when you do. It does not mean, church, that when you give control over your life to God, whether on the first moment for salvation or ongoingly for sanctification, that it's a reflection on you being a coward or that you've lost dignity or respect in some way. You are not taking part in something that is degrading you. It's not. It's about giving your life over to someone who's better at leading it than you are. Remember, this is not in response to defeat by an enemy. This is in response to love from the Father. Please be clear on that distinction. Because otherwise, you might assume that we stand to lose something when we get to that place of surrender. No, not at all. Not at all. Your life doesn't end when you give it to Jesus, friends. Your real life starts when you give it to Jesus. Can you say amen to that? This is a powerful sign of, of, of humility and trust in the one that is able to, to lead you better than you can. You know, you can't improve on the love of God. <laughs> you can't improve on eternity. Amen. So when I surrender, I'm saying, Lord, I want your plan for my life. It's better than mine. And that is not a sign of cowardly behavior. That is a sign of humility and trust in the one who, who has the perfect plan for your life. Another thing that it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that this automatically happens in the life of the believer. That's really important. You know, like we're, we're just pre-programmed to involuntarily say yes to everything that God places before us. No, this is an active choice that we have to make. We have to actively get to the place where we say, where we go before him in prayer and say, Lord, I'm laying this down. God doesn't fight you and he won't force you to do that. It's an active choice that we make. And although circumstances in life might feel at times like they've, like they've got you to that place, they've brought you to your knees where there's no other hope or way out other than surrender, I get that. That might be part of someone's story here this morning. But God will never force you to say yes to him. We, we, we still have free will. It's still a choice that we make to receive salvation and to commit to sanctification every single day. That's why it's a response to an invitation. It's not just an involuntary response to a command. Philippians 2 verse 12, this, this is one of my most favorite, I always say that about every verse that I read. Don't, you're going to confuse these people. Uh, I, I really love this verse. Um, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more when I'm not with you, work out 
your own salvation with fear and trembling. There it is. That, that, the Greek there means the outworking of. It's not work for your salvation. It's work out your salvation. That's what we're talking about with the, with the sanctification thing. For it is God who works in you. God is working in you to do what? To will and to work for his good pleasure. That is a remarkable passage of scripture. It says that God himself is working in you. He's prompting you. He's leading you to bring out the salvation that's in your heart. You just yield to him and say yes. And one of the things that it also doesn't mean, church, is that it's not a response to some kind of a law. Go and read the whole of Paul's letters. This is not some legalistic observance. I'm not doing this from an external point of view. I'm doing this from an internal point of view. My surrendering to God is not rooted in fear. It's rooted in love. And we know that there's, that there's, no, that there's no fear in God's perfect love. It's a response to love. And then finally, uh, the last point before I share, just very quickly the story that I wanted to leave with you this morning. If biblical surrender is about laying our lives down before God, and we've spoken about that now, and if it's not an act of cowardice, and if it's not something that automatically happens, can I ask us a question? Um, why is it that we don't? Why, why don't we surrender to the Lord? And you guys don't have to listen to this. This is just for me. You don't have to listen to this part. Lloyd, why, why don't you? It's one thing to say and to sing, I surrender all, you know. It's another thing entirely to practice it. So why don't we? What's, what's keeping us back, friends, from submitting and, and surrendering fully to God? Excuse me, I think, let me offer some help this morning. I think one of the main reasons is that we harbor a fear in our hearts that says, you know, if I do surrender to you, God, I'm, I'm scared of what I might lose. <laughs> I'm scared of what you might take from me or what you might call me to do. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that if I let go, if I fully let go of the thing that I've been holding on to, whether that's a habit or a person in my life that I know is not good for me or a step of faith you want me to take or a thought pattern or a fear, I'm scared. My finances, I'm scared of letting go. What if you take this from me? What if you call me into something that I'm not ready for? Friends, can I just encourage us on something this morning on that point? Um, this is very important, and I'm preaching this to myself as I said. God is for you, not against you. God is for you. There is no fear in his perfect love. God, God is not trying to embarrass you. <laughs> He's not out there playing some weird cosmic game of, you know, let them mess up so I can make fun of them. No, he's for you. He is the father. Please don't let the wrong idea of who God is stop you from surrendering because you're worried about what he might demand from you or call you into. He loves you. He is the perfect father who wants the absolute best for you. Does this mean that things go perfectly well when you surrender to him? Not at all. This is not what we're talking about. But what it is about is you saying, Lord, you know the person that you want me to be. You know the person that you want me to be. And in order for me to get there, I'm going to have to lay some things down. I can't carry all of who I was into who you are calling me to be. And Father, I trust you with that. I, I have to get to that place where I lay that thing down. Please take everything 
that is not from you away so you can make me the person that you want me to be. Amen. And you might find that he doesn't call you to do a whole lot different. But it's your perspective that's changed. It's your heart that's, begins, that's, that, that's begun to change. It's your, it's your demeanor. It's your attitude to things. Something, something shifts. And can I get just very real? Not that it hasn't been real, Lloyd. Cheapers. Can I just get very real for a second? If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. he's not Lord of all, he's not really Lord at all. God isn't half sovereign. <laughs> he's fully sovereign. He's not half mighty. <laughs> he's almighty. And so maybe, maybe the reality of surrender for us is just to say, Lord, even although you are absolutely almighty and fully sovereign, I'm sorry that I've kept you half mighty in my heart because of my unwillingness to surrender to you. Okay, let's, let's move on, let's move on, let's move on. No, but I believe the Holy Spirit is doing some work in someone's heart this morning. And so friends, well, I wonder what your response would be if I asked you the question, the question this morning. Um, when was the last time you went before the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, I surrender? When was the last time you went before him and you said, I surrender fully to you? I lay it all down. And I'm realizing I'm already almost four minutes over time, so I'm going to keep the story for next week. Or should I go there now? Should we go there now? Who's got a roast in the oven though that's going to be burnt if I carry on? Are we okay? Can I go, can I go three more minutes? Okay. Rob's going to help me. If I'm talking too long, just play loudly and I'll get the hint. Um, but I wonder when last we went before him and we said, Lord, I want what you want. I don't want what you don't want. I, I don't want to carry something in to the new me that's not of you. I lay it down. And you know who's a remarkable example of this in Scripture? Some of you can probably guess where I was going to go or where I am going. Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. Um, Genesis 11 to 25. That's the chapter we read about, chapters we read about Abraham's life. Go and read it. It's absolutely remarkable. But what is incredible about his story is that he was 100 years old. His wife was 90. And God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Sarah laughs actually in one of the, one of the um, scriptures on it. She's literally in the tent laughing when she hears this because she's like, 90? What do you mean? Come on. You know, Abraham's 100. I'm 90. I'm way past that. And what's interesting is, is Abraham believes God and it's credited, credited to him as righteousness, which is why he's also called the father of our faith. Because it wasn't what he did, it was that he believed God that made him right. But that's a whole sermon all by itself. But just think about that promise for a second. You're Abraham, you're walking with God, and he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. How is that logically possible if he has a son, right? Father has to have a son so that he can keep the name going and that he can become the father of many nations, right? His son's got to keep doing that. And that is what makes his story even more remarkable. Genesis 22, verse 1 says this, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, Here I am. 
He said, How's that going to work? How, how if, if you said, I'm going to be the, the father of many nations, now you're asking me to kill the vehicle through which <laughs> that promise is going to come to fulfillment. Like what? Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Your surrender. Oy. Abraham rose early in the morning, verse 3, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men, his servants with him, and his son. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. Arose, went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, wood, third day, Abram lifted up his eyes, saw the place. Abram said to his young men, stay here I'm with a donkey. I'm going to go over there with my son, worship, and come back to you again. I and the boy will go over and come back. Abram took the wood, laid it on his son, took in his hand the fire, the knife, and they went in. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, yeah. I said, here's the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb? Check out Abram, Abram's response. The wood, the third day, the lamb. Where are we going with this, friends? What's this a story of? They went in, and when they'd come to the place, verse 9, Abram built the altar. Yo, laid the wood, his son. Abram reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, and just then the angel said, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Man, you. Seeing as you have not withheld your son, your only son, the, the vehicle by which this promise was going to happen, the thing that you have been placing your entire life's expectation on, he was, willing, he was willing to surrender and lay down. Abram lifted his eyes and was a ram. There was a ram caught in the thicket. He took it and offered it up instead of his son Isaac. And verse 14, he called the name of that place the Lord will provide. And as it is to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. It's a big example, hey, of surrender, but you guys know what this was about. This is the ultimate encouragement of reading Abram and Isaac's story, is that God was saying, so much but it's because I'm a dad now <laughs> this hits very different think of my son um, he, God was saying this is the prophetic play friends this is the prophetic play there's three days there's the wood of the cross <laughs> there's a perfect son so he took the sacrifice instead of us and you see Jesus in that garden before he's about to be crucified saying, Father, take this cup from me. Let not my will be done, but yours. And you go, 
Yeah, I surrender all thought because you surrendered it all for me. Can you say amen to that church? Could you stand with me as we pray? Sorry. Um, I appreciate the extra five minutes or so, but um, you can see this one hit me during the week. Eh? Um, I was like, I just, yeah, you just see Jesus in such beautiful light when you read that story and you go, God, your son surrendered his life. What am I doing holding on to habits, time wasting stuff, thoughts, like finance, whatever, just things that I think I can do better. Look at the example we have in scripture, man. We were supposed to be on that altar and then there, Jesus, the, the lamb that was, that was there, took it in our place and we're free. And I really believe God is calling us in that freedom as a response to his love to say, Lord, I surrender something this morning. So church, would you mind just closing your eyes with me for a moment? Just out of the honor and integrity of today, I'm gonna invite you um, just as an act of surrender, just to raise your hand if you feel like you're here this morning and you've been holding on to something that you know God doesn't want you to bring in to who he's calling you to be. I'm not gonna embarrass anybody in any way, but I do feel prompted to invite you to just acknowledge that by raising your hand this morning and just saying, that is me. Lord, I've got something that has been there. It's been a frustration. It's a mindset. It's a habit. There could even be someone that I've been, you know, holding on to that's been in my life that I know is not good for me. It could be some kind, I don't know. It could be anything. It's between you and God. But you, but you know there's this thing that's there that He's calling you to lay down. There's so many hands that have gone up. Thank you, friends. You can put them down again. I just want to pray a very simple prayer for you. And um, you can just amen this in your heart. And it's between you and God, right? Father, thank you so much for the example of surrender in your son, Jesus, that we find in Scripture. Lord, that is all the motivation we need to lay our lives down fully to you. And Father, this morning, we ask for your forgiveness where we've held on to stuff, where we've kept control over some things in our lives that we shouldn't have. And right now in this moment, Lord, as a community, we say, I surrender all. Father, thank you that you saw every hand that was raised. And even right now, Holy Spirit, I just thank you in Jesus' name that you're just removing that thing. You're, you're, you're taking it away. You, you are reshaping. You are molding our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that this is the day of surrender. This is the day where we give up control to the one that has the perfect plan. This is not cowardice. This is bravery, Father. Because it's in response to an invitation of love that you made. And Lord, I thank you for just newness of life coming in every life that has laid something down, that has said, Father, I surrender all to you this morning. I thank you for new life, Lord. I thank you for fruitfulness. I just thank you for a transformed experience, even of the same situation, but a transformed experience because you're in complete control. And Lord, I thank you that as we do this, as we grow in our ability to surrender, we grow in our ability to enjoy you more. And we honor you for this. And in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Church, can we give God one last shout of praise and worship this morning and adoration? Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for your time this morning, church. As always, if you'd like a further conversation, we'll be here up front uh, to meet with you. Otherwise, enjoy a cup of coffee. Have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday. God bless everyone.